0: Hello and welcome to Made to Measure, the podcast of the Journal of Trading Standards. I'm Paul Evans. In this week's episode, we'll be speaking with Dan Rawling, director in the policy and international team at the Competition and Markets Authority. Back in March, when the implications of the COVID-19 crisis for both consumers and businesses were becoming clear, the CMA established a task force to address some of the many challenges arising from the situation. As Dan discusses, these included a worrying surge in the prices of certain consumer goods, with some businesses charging over the odds for basic necessities, such as hand sanitizer and PPE. As the crisis developed and restrictions on travel came into effect, the issue of cancellations and refunds emerged as a concern for consumers, and the CMA received record numbers of inquiries and complaints. Dan explains how the CMA has tackled these problems with the support of trading standards looks at the key lessons enforcers and regulators can learn from the events of the past few months, and looks ahead to the challenges likely to arise as the pandemic moves into its next phase. He started, though, by giving us a quick snapshot of what the CMA is all about.
1: Hi there, my name's Dan Rawling, and I'm a director in the policy and international team here at the Competition and Markets Authority. Um, I've had a background in both economic regulation and prudential regulation, and also consumer protection and competition law here at the CMA. The CMA is the UK's primary competition authority, and we also have responsibility for enforcing consumer protection law and are also a merger control authority for the UK as well. We also look at uh, problems across markets and uh, where we can make those markets
2: work better for consumers, businesses, and the wider economy. So, obviously, fairly early on in the lockdown, the CMA set up its COVID nineteen task force. Could you just give us an, an overview of why it was set up initially and the kind of issues that it's been it's been focused on?
1: Yeah, the COVID nineteen task force was set up, as you say, early on, back in March um, of this year, and we moved quite quickly to set that up, really, to scrutinise market developments as they were occurring and identify any harmful business practices related to the the coronavirus outbreak as they emerged, and to coordinate the response of the organisation. And across the task force, the way I kind of see it is that there are three broad areas of response that the task force is, is responsible for coordinating. First is a kind of policy response. It can be advice to government or it can be guidance to businesses and consumers. Then there's an enforcement response. Are there places where we can take formal enforcement action? And then there's also a wider, and this is perhaps newer for the CMA, behavioural influencing response. How can we change business behaviour even outside of formal enforcement? So in the policy response, examples of our work would include guidance that we've given on um, cancellation and refund issues to businesses or we've given guidance to businesses on how they can cooperate with each other without risking breaching competition law. On the enforcement side, and we'll talk about it a bit today perhaps, we've had consumer protection enforcement cases around cancellation and refunds issues, and we also opened Competition Act investigations into suspected price gouging on hand sanitizer products. And on the behavioural side, We've done quite a bit across the task force and with our comms colleagues, open letters to industry, public statements, and also quite a lot of working with trade associations, trading standards community and other authorities to get the message out there that we're watching and that bad business behaviour
2: will not be tolerated. In terms of a lot of these, these these topics, then that you've been you've been addressing and, and giving guidance on, are they a response to complaints from consumers, or are they a response to inquiries from business, or a combination?
1: It's a bit of a combination. We do get business queries or requests for input and advice from business, and also from other authorities, regulators, and trading standards officials. And that's been that's been very nice to see that our task force communications channels have also allowed us to have a good discussion with our enforcement partners about shared priorities. But the most common source of intelligence is through consumer complaints. At the outset of the crisis, we established a uh, a complaints web form accessible through the gov.uk web pages. And As at the end of June, we'd had about 80,000 unique consumer contacts through that. And that's pretty unprecedented territory for the CMA to have that kind of level of consumer concern directly expressed to us. And the sort of broad issues covered by those 80 plus thousand complaints were really about price gouging, you know, price hikes on essential goods and services. Cancellations and refunds issues where businesses were adopting a kind of no refunds policy policy or making it very difficult um, to get one's money back or imposing additional charges um, for, for the process of, of processing a cancellation. There were also complaints about the non-delivery of goods um, or issues to do with the return of products. And some evidence of some misleading claims cases, where, for example, there was concern about deceptive health claims or misleading claims about the efficacy of a, of a product in in um, protecting one from from the from the, uh, from the symptoms of the, of the pandemic.
2: Have you found that the types of complaints you've received have have changed as the as the situation has developed? Presumably, in the early days, the focus was perhaps more on on price gouging and. Perhaps now it's shifted more towards things like holiday refunds, etc. Absolutely right. I mean, that's,
1: that's exactly right. The initial focus of consumer complaints and the CMA's response was very much price gouging in the early days. But it's, it's very much switched to cancellations and refunds issues, particularly around holidays and package travel, as being the major complained about issue. To give some sense of scale, back in the early days of that web form, when it was first launched, around about the start of April, we would be receiving 70, 80 price gouging complaints per day. That's now dropped to around 11 per day uh, in June and is continuing to fall further still. So very much a story of a drop, a diminution in the price gouging complaints and a, a, high, a high proportion, uh, four in every five complaints or more Being about cancellations and refund issues.
2: How does the CMA distinguish between legitimate increases in price due to things like a shortage of goods and staff and delivery service, which is obviously going to raise the cost for a retailer to sell a a can of beans, for example, versus a, a deliberate, cynical attempt to exploit? the situation in consumers by by hiking prices on on certain products yeah
1: that's the that's the essential question and the challenge for for all enforcers in tackling price hikes and profiteering behavior is to recognize that we we know that business is under an extreme set of challenges there are quite unusually demand side issues the constraints for example around supply or getting goods to store store that you just mentioned and also at the same time, demand spikes. So all consumers want them, consumers want them now. And there's a pretty febrile purchasing environment where obviously consumers are concerned and want the goods uh, to be able to protect themselves. And if you've got supply side and demand side increases at the same time, there are clearly issues there that are going to be difficult for us to to work out where the problem is, where is, is legitimate passing on of supply side cost increases with the retail margin remaining the same versus where there is actually price hiking and profiteering behaviour. And the simplest solution we found to addressing that problem was to ask the firms and to ask them to explain. And as at the end of June, we had written to about 300 firms and that was accounting for nearly 4000 Consumer complaints. Those 300 or so firms that we wrote to, seeking an explanation for the price rises. You know, asking them to tell us: Have you had uh, increased costs from your wholesaler? Are your supply costs going up? Has it cost you more to procure the items? And ask them to explain their behaviour. And if they redirect us to to turn our torchlight elsewhere, you know, further up the supply chain, that's what we'll do. But with some good, you know, some good response rates to those letters, we were ident- able to identify issues elsewhere in the supply chain, but equally, we were able to identify issues where it looked it looked more to us like profiteering behaviour than passing on legitimate cost uh, or supply side
2: increases. Were there any particular particular areas or, or specific products where the price gouging issue was more more apparent than others?
1: So across the board, the most complained about areas were. Hand sanitizer, food, medicines, toiletries, and PPE (personal protective equipment) like like face masks. Now, of those, our analysis of the complaints data, plus external pricing data that we were able to obtain, clearly identified hand sanitizer as the area with the highest and most su- sustained price increases, and which we did not think were justified by price increases at the the supplier level, our investigations of the complaints on the other bits and pieces like food, toilet roll and other goods, there the price spikes appeared to us to be significantly lower and shorter lived than in hand sanitizer. So that's what made hand sanitizer particularly interesting for us was that it was high price increases and sustained and it seemed to be happening in a number of parts of the country um, as well. Mm -hmm. We did focus initially on, on on hand sanitizer and it's
2: remained a remained an area where we've kept a very keen eye. Are there any particularly striking examples of, of, of price gouging you've come across? We're taking the price gouging issue very seriously and particularly on
1: the hand sanitizer area that I just mentioned. And um, we have commenced previously four investigations under the Competition Act in relation to suspected charging of excessive and unfair pricing of hand sanitizer products by four pharmacies and convenience stores. The update on our website at the moment in relation to those investigations shows that three of those four investigations have now been closed. One investigation at this time remains open, and there will always be the opportunity and prospect as well for us to open and commence further. Competition Act investigations where we suspect that the law has been breached. No inference should be made that the parties under investigation in those sectors have broken the law or that there has been a breach of Competition Act uh, provisions. But it shows that we are taking seriously price gouging on hand sanitizer and have shone our light particularly on the independent pharmacy and convenience store channels as where there might be excessive and unfair pricing of hand sanitiser products. That's also informed why we worked very closely with the General Pharmaceutical Council, GPC. We worked with them and shared data on hand sanitiser pricing complaints regarding pharmacies. And it was good to work with the GPC as the, the regulator of pharmacies to help achieve a bit of wider awareness and compliance in that sector. And so we sent a joint letter To all pharmacies in Great Britain about price gouging. And it provided advice on what pharmacies should do to ensure that their
2: prices are fair and reasonable. There's been a big uptick in online shopping as a result of of the lockdown. Has that presented any unique challenges for the CMA? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, And that online offline
1: distinction is an interesting one to explore. So much I think matters in terms of which products, product areas, and what the potential consumer concern is. So if one thinks about the sort of hand sanitizer price spikes, for example, that may be a platform online trade issue, or it may be an offline issue. It may be, may be both. So the online experience would be, if there are rogue sellers using platforms like eBay or Amazon to charge excessive prices for hand sanitizer or other face masks or whatever, or whether that's through direct sale or through auctions on those platforms. And then the question really is the, the platform responsibility, the responsibility of eBay or Amazon to police their fair dealing and fair listing rules and to prohibit, or suspend sellers that are breaching those policies. And we did engage with eBay and Amazon throughout the task force work and its response to price gouging to make sure that they were appropriately policing their listing and account policies. If you look though at the work that we've done, perhaps with the GPC, or a lot of our behavioral influencing response by writing to traders, there's really been bricks and mortar um, convenience stores, pharmacies, etc, and there it 's very much about physical shopping it 's very much about the consumer in a local area who may not be able to access a car, they may not be able to travel to large supermarkets out of town, they may be limited in their search radius to you know half within half a mile of their property, and there you can mm. see that the conditions can be ripe right for price gouging to take place. So it's important that we also look at that offline physical search, as well as online online commerce. And also, I think if you look at the wider CMA portfolio of enforcement work, things like um, looking at online fake reviews or the misleading use of social media, these are important attributes of where consumers can be given misleading information. Say, for example, about the efficacy of a product. Um, how good it is at protecting you and the like. So we're we're absolutely aware and keeping cognizant of the issues to do with with platform responsibility and also the misuse um, or the misinformation that can 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 gather online and making sure that we uh, we tackle those online harms where we see them as well. We've learned quite a bit, I think, from our colleagues in house that have helped us think about behavioural insights and. It may not, this may not sound you know, particularly groundbreaking, but what we've achieved, I think, is to reinforce the majority norm. A lot of what we are doing here is writing out to companies and reminding them that consumers have complained about them and that there's a short-termism here in price gouging. Those, those customers may vote with their wallets in the future. And we're reminding firms that the vast majority are behaving themselves and being responsible corporate citizens. You know, only about two in every thousand UK companies has been complained about. And those that we are writing to, we're making that absolutely clear. I think that's, you know, it's important for us to remember that as well as that enforcement response. We've got that behavioural
2: influencing response in our armoury as well. Have you found any, any issues around businesses diversifying their offering as a response to coronavirus? I'm thinking, for example, places like pubs and restaurants doing increased delivery services, and there may be certain businesses which aren't necessarily conversant with their responsibilities in, in, in a certain area if they're stepping outside of their usual comfort zone, shall we say yeah it's it's not been a significantly complained about part of our work or the task force
1: response but i do know that from discussions that we have with with local authority trading standards services just the sheer amount and variety of issues that have come up in terms of local enforcement and if you think about the sort of trading standards and environmental health response and the sheer amount of stuff that's had to have been considered and the sheer amount of resource that's been diverted away from Normal BAU activity into environmental health, public protection, and COVID-19 matters. There's we know there's a huge amount of work that's going on there. And I think it's been a pretty staggeringly good response from trading standards and environmental health teams in pretty torrid circumstances to deal with that. I think the stuff that bubbles up to um, the CMA through its uh, online web form, has very much been about the price hikes and the cancellation and refund issues. But no, we are we are aware of the particular variety and complexity of things that trading standards officials have had to deal with, because necessarily the firms are themselves trying to get up to speed with some quite knotty issues. And so giving guidance, um, perhaps in you know clear and accessible form, and short form guidance rather than, you know, the 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 hundred page treaties on a subject is all is all important as well. Businesses will have frequently asked questions. And where possible, we and uh, other colleagues through, for example, the Chartered Trading Standards Institute have been looking at where we can give short form FAQ style guidance so that it lands with with real impact and clarity to firms that you know, this isn't their day job perhaps.
2: We've skirted around the issue a couple of times of, of cancellations and, and refunds, um, specifically in, in, in terms of things like holidays and events, et cetera. What's the CMA's main, the main challenges here? I mean, presumably, again, there needs to be a, a balance between protecting consumers and making sure that businesses aren't being penalised excessively for, for things outside their control. It's a good question, and that tension I do recognise,
1: you know, I have heard criticism of the enforcement response for being, you know, too doctrinaire, too tough on, on on businesses who obviously are going through a difficult time. And, you know, the risks of cash-strapped businesses perhaps going insolvent because of a, a consumer clamour for, for refunds. I would, just, I would just want to say that while obviously recognising the difficulty that, that firms are under, we are talking here about consumers' rights um, and entitlements under consumer protection law. And it's not ours for the CMA to waive those rights and entitlements. And I think there's also something here to say about the importance of consumer confidence. Consumer confidence now but also in terms of the economic recovery from the crisis. And it's going to be ever more important that consumers know that their legal rights are protected and that their cash is safe. If they're, for example, putting a deposit or down payment on a a holiday, or they're they're thinking about putting quite a lot of money out for a a wedding, for example, or if they're um, considering... Other services, which may be a big outlay for them. And we are, you know, I'm absolutely cognizant of the the difficult situation for businesses, but it is not a solution to deny customers their their rights and entitlements under consumer protection law. Obviously, you can communicate to the customer the difficult situation the business is under, perhaps ask for some forbearance perhaps encourage the consumer to consider whether they would accept a credit note or a a voucher to rebook in future and how that would be a a benefit to the business but ultimately making clear that they have the right to seek their cash back um, and to get a full cash refund where the service cannot be provided or is not provided because of contingencies related to COVID-19 that are outside of the control of the consumer and I think that's going to be critical for consumer confidence going forward and also today um looking at the consumer's perspective that money which may be tied up in a holiday that someone can't have you know as well as not being able to go on holiday that's money that they might need for other essential purchases they might be out of work they might have severe cash flow difficulties of themselves for themselves as well as as well as for the business that uh, is serving them, so I recognise the difficulty, but I think it's it's not our rights to waive, and I think it's important that there is fairness to the consumer.
2: One of the things which which seems to recur in lots of the conversations I have with people is around the idea that the existing legislation was never designed with coronavirus in mind, mm-hmm. and perhaps there there is a need for a new legislation around consumer protection in COVID-19. Is, is that something the CMA experienced? And is there anything particularly that you're, you're, you're advocating or, or pushing for?
1: Yes, we did work closely with the Department for Business on options for emergency anti-price gouging legislation. And we provided advice to government in this area as part of our policy response. Ultimately, it is a matter for government to decide. But we did make the point that anti-profiteering legislation Could be a quicker and more direct solution than our existing competition and consumer protection tools. But thinking about the sort of wider, the wider reform of consumer protection law, the CMA has made the case for some time now for reform of the consumer protection regime, for example, to allow the CMA to make administrative decisions and to impose fines for breach of consumer law, and. That kind of bigger picture reform is something that we're very interested in the views of the trading standards colleagues on. Would those kinds of powers, those kinds of scenario have been a a, a better regime if we imagine that there's admin powers and the civil civil fines for breach of consumer law? Would that have bolstered, do we think, our ability to respond to the COVID-19
2: crisis looking to the future what do you think the main challenges will be and, and, and how can various bodies like the cma like trading standards work to together to confront this without using a, a too much of a thorny cliche this of unprecedented uh, situation
1: yeah as we move from the short term sort of crisis response to perhaps a more medium term recovery phase there's going to be quite a bit of overlap and Work where we need to continue to work together as closely as we have um, through the initial crisis phase. I mean, I mentioned the, the unique set of challenges that local trading standards and environmental health offices are under, and that's with already limited resources. And I also mentioned that it's sort of the importance of powering consumer confidence so that people feel able to go out and, and spend money. There's also, I think, lessons that we can draw from our experience through the task force, the sort of joint working that we've done with trading standards officers, this sort of joint thinking about how we tackle the big issues together, perhaps gives us a bit of food for thought about whether we want to sort of adopt similar sort of structures to, to joint working going forward. Two real things really, I think, are coordination of activity and sharing information. That's critical. So one of the particular strengths, I think, over recent months has been our collective ability to coordinate in key areas like cancellations, holiday rentals, price gouging, working very closely with trading standards officials. And it'd be good to build on that and maximise where we can, we can share our, our, our limited resources and share information strategically through the Consumer Protection Partnership um, and help establish shared priorities through mechanisms like the cpp that's one area and i think another area is interpreting and giving guidance on consumer law and collectively trying to do a bit more to help understanding to to populate understanding of how consumer law applies ctsi for example issued guidance and obtained Uh, expert counsel's opinion on how consumer law might apply to price gouging. You know, what what does it say about professional diligence? What does it say about aggressive practices? And there's perhaps more we can do in that kind of thing, you know, interpreting and giving guidance on consumer law across the profession, but also to businesses and consumers in understanding what the law says as well. So those would be my sort of lessons from the task force. Coordination uh, of activity, and how we work together on publicising and promoting consumer law and what it says.
2: Well, just, just finally, then, if if Trading Standards wants to get in touch to share some ideas, if, if anyone has any queries, how can they do that?
1: Yep, you'll find some contact details for the COVID 19 task force on our webpage on good.uk. There's a collection of resources there about the task force. I'm also very happy to, to have any approaches directly. My name's Daniel Rawling. It's daniel.rawling at cma.gov.uk. And I'm sure that we'll meet through fora such as the CCP or other opportunities where we can can network um, and talk about our collective experience of the the COVID-19 crisis. And my colleagues across consumer policy and consumer enforcement interact with trading standards colleagues quite regularly. So don't be shy about telling us what you think about the, the task force and how it's worked.
0: Well, that's it for another episode. Thanks to Dan Rawling for speaking to us and thank you for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. In the meantime, if you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast or you just want to get in touch, send us an email to made to measure at jtsmag.uk. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. Until next time, goodbye.